Um, if you brought your Bibles this morning, and I hope that you have, uh, turn with me to 1 John, okay? 1 John, uh, some people I've, you know, refer to it as Little John, way over there in the New Testament, really close to the book of Revelation, okay? So close to the end of your Bible. But turn with me to 1 John um, chapter 3. I, I, I'm going to drag you through the scriptures this morning. Um, I, I'm actually, for my opening scriptures, for our main text, which is where I'm going to start and Lord willing where I'm going to end at, um, I'm actually going to read from two places in 1 John. Um, and we'll talk about 1 John a little bit as a whole this morning. Um, and just try to share with you some thoughts that God has given me. So we're going to start 1 John chapter 3. And depending on how your Bible's laid up, this may all be, you may not have to turn pages, but I'm going to read 1 John chapter 3, verses 19 through 22, and then I'm going to read 1 John chapter 5, verses 13 through 15, and we'll go to the Lord together in prayer, okay? So I've got those two places from 1 John that I want to read before we even pray. 1 John chapter 3, I want to begin at verse 19 and read through 22, and then we'll, and then we'll skip to chapter 5. Verse 19 begins and says, And hereby we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart, and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commandments, and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. All right? Now, if you'll skip over to chapter 5, or jump over to chapter 5, and look at verse 13. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. If that's not on the same page, it'll only be one or two pages over in your Bible. It says, These things have I written unto you, that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that uh, he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Let's go to the Lord together uh, in a word of prayer, if you'll bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, we just humbly come before you. We thank you, Lord, for the good day and for the many blessings. We thank you for our church family, for each one that you sent our way this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the roof you put over our heads. We thank you, Lord, for... Uh, the good spirit that we felt here this morning, the fellowship and the, and the study that we had in, in our Sunday school class. And we thank you, Lord, for the songs that's been offered this morning. We thank you, Lord, for all the praise and, and you know, the, the people have offered to you this morning. We thank you, Lord, for all of these things, Lord. But we thank you most of all for your son, Jesus, Lord God, that you sent him and give him so that we might have life and have that life eternally and abundantly. And Lord, I pray that we would always recognize what a precious gift that is. And we would always be ready to lift our voices to you and praise and give you the glory because you alone are worthy of it. And Lord, my prayer as we go forward this morning is that you would do a work in this church and in the hearts of each one that are here that are a part of this church this morning. 
I pray, Lord, this morning that you would just, um, God, that you would stir us. Lord, that you would convict us. God, that you would uh, heal us. God, that you would lift us up. Whatever the need is here this morning, whether we're down and discouraged, whether we're hurting in our bodies, whether is we're hurting in our spirit and our soul and our broken heart, whether it is that we've let sin or and, and things like that into our life that doesn't belong there, things that don't glorify you. Lord, whatever it is, Lord, I'm asking that you would move by your sweet Holy Spirit and that you'd meet every need, that you'd lift us up, that you'd encourage us, that you'd draw us near to you, that you'd give us the healing touch that we need, that you'd mend the brokenhearted. Lord, that you'd convict us of our sins and where we fall short. And Lord, my prayer most of all is if there's any lost among us, Lord, that God, that you wouldn't give us any peace. Lord, today would be the day. Lord, even if we've let, if our heart has gotten calloused and hard, that today would be the day, Lord, that you'd prick it, Lord. And Lord, you'd convict us by your Holy Spirit. And we recognize and realize that we must, that we must give our heart to you. We must wholly devote our heart and our life to you. That we must repent of our sins and turn to you before it's too late. For we still have breath in us. And Lord, my prayer also for our church is that we would grow in spirit and love. We'd grow in number too. Lord, that you'd give us a burden to reach a lost and dying world. God, that you'd send us revival. Lord, that you would just do a wonderful work here in your people. And we'll be sure and give you the glory for it. God, we love you this morning. God, we worship you. Lord, we praise your holy name. We ask it all in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. I don't know if you noticed a reoccurring theme in the verses that I read to you this morning. I'll read to you one more verse, and maybe you'll catch it then. Verse, uh, chapter 2 and verse 28 says, Now, or it says, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. That we might have confidence, that we might be able to boldly stand before him, that we might be able to boldly approach him. The, the, that, that word confidence, that's what I was trying to get at. That's what I want you to see. It occurs three times here in First John. I have now read to you all three places where it occurs. Um, the theme is basically the same as we're going through this, right? I mean, he's, he's talking about the same things. He's talking about having confidence before God is what he's talking about, whether we approach him in prayer or whatever the case may be. But we might, at his coming, as I've just read to you in that verse, but that we might be able to confidently, boldly stand before him. And so anyways, I, I, wanna, I, I believe the Lord wants me to preach about that this morning. I want to talk to you a little bit. First um, John is, is interesting. Uh, obviously, it is written, uh, the Apostle John is who wrote it. He wrote it much later in his life. Um, the first, I, I'm not going to read them to you. Maybe I should. But the first four verses of this book, right? Chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, is John basically telling you on what authority that he is speaking here. He is saying that he is telling us 
in this book the very things that Jesus taught him in the other apostles, right? That's my interpretation in a nutshell, but that's what he's saying in the first four verses, that, that these things are the things that God made known to them, that manifested to them uh, through Jesus and in Jesus' ministry. And here in 1 John, he is, um, he is sharing these things with us. So that's the authority. That's where it's coming from. And so, I mean, to me, that gives even more authority, right, for him to, I mean, it's the scripture, it's the word of God, so how much more authority can you get? But John is here talking uh, about standing and coming before God with confidence. And, and so let me say this morning that first of all, as a child of God, we can have confidence uh, with God. Confidence in where we stand and what we ask for. Now, let me make a couple things clear really quick. Probably all of you here know what we believe and what we teach, but in case you don't, then I'm going to make it just as clear as I possibly can right now. We, we do not believe in what is commonly referred to as once saved, always saved. We don't believe that it's biblically correct, and we do not believe that the Bible teaches that, okay? Um, we do believe that a person can be saved, and then at some point in their life, right, a lot of people use the term lose salvation, and I don't like that term at all, uh, because to me, lose is like you lose your car keys, right? It's not lose like that at all. It's not like, whoops, what happened to that? I thought I had it with me. You know, it's not like that at all. It is a conscious decision, right? It is an intentional turning away from God and forsaking God and walking away from Him and going back into the world and going back to the, to the old things. And so we believe that it is possible to turn away after having been saved and tasted the good things. And just like me and Mike and some other guys were talking Friday, I don't see how in the world somebody, you know, after you've experienced what I've experienced, how you could do that. But yet at the same time, I think we were talking in Bible study Wednesday, it's human nature, right? To go back into the, you know, the, the, the Bible uses the terms of the, you know, the, 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 or the uh, uh, dog returning to its vomit and the, the hog and wallowing in the mire, you know. And so it's that, it, it is that human nature, right? I've preached a lot here lately about, I feel like anyways, from the book of Exodus. And it's amazing how after everything they had saw and everything God had brought them from, there's still the whole turning back and going back, okay? But anyway, so we believe that it is possible to turn, to have once truly been saved and then to turn away from God and turn your back on God and to go back out into the world and to be eternally lost. We, we believe that that is possible. But, let me give you the other side of the coin. There is some people that are constantly in fear of their salvation. They're afraid that it's almost like they lose it and gain it and lose it and gain it and lose it and gain it and, it and, it and constantly lose it. And always worried. I've heard people even say, you know, something to the effect of, you know, I hope I make it. Maybe that's not what they really meant, but if that's what they really meant, I don't think that's biblically right. 
I don't think there's any way that God, you know, the Bible teaches us about the Lamb's Book of Life, right? And if our name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, that means we're saved. We're on our way to heaven, right? You've got your ticket. you got your spot, right? Moses talks about name being blotted out of the Book of Life, right? I don't think that God has wore a hole in the page writing my name in and erasing it back out and then writing it back in and erasing it out until he's worn a hole upon through the paper. I don't think it's anything like that at all. What I'm trying to say is, is we can have confidence in our standing with God. You should never leave going, boy, I don't know whether or not I'm saved. Boy, I hope I am. I hope I'm going to make it. You can, you can have confidence. And that's what I'm going to preach about this morning. How do you have that confidence? You can have confidence in where you stand with God. You can have confidence. You can know. I mean, I, let me talk about me for just a minute. I have messed up my fair share of times. There is no question, no doubt about it. There has been times... The Holy Spirit is dealing with me and he is convicting me and I feel about this tall and I know that, I, that I'm definitely not worthy. I don't deserve it. And, it, you know, if he was to kick me out and never give me another chance, uh, I would deserve it, you know. But he doesn't because of his mercy and because of his grace. And he convicts me. Now, I could... Harden my heart to that conviction, right? I could ignore as the Holy Spirit is dealing with me. I could keep ignoring that, and that's going to drive a wedge between me and God, right? And that's going to push me farther and farther away from God, right? His voice is more and more distant, right? I, you, you know, you, you feel His presence less and less, right? You, 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 you are, you're not sensing his leading, right? You have less and less interest in his word and worshiping him and, you know, anything to do with him until there comes a point that you are completely separated, eternally lost, right? If you were to die in that state, eternally lost. So, I don't think... And there's room for some disagreement, I guess, on this part right here. I don't think it's something that necessarily, I guess it could happen overnight, but typically I don't think it's something that happens overnight. I think it's something that you begin to pull away from God and, and walk away from God until there comes a point of being severed and being completely separated from God. Now, God makes it clear that no sin will enter in, and so there are some things that have to be reconciled there. But anyways, my point that I want to make is not, not so much on that end of it, but on the end of having some confidence. We, just because we believe it's possible to walk away from God and to be eternally separated, that does not mean that, there, that you cannot have confidence in where you stand with God. And so in order to have this confidence, first and foremost, you have to have a clean heart. One thing that you heard in these scriptures over and over was talking about your conscience, right? You've got to have a clean heart, a clear conscience, and, a, and, and live a life that is pleasing in God's sight. I preached, I think it was just last week, wasn't it, that I preached do right. 
right? That you need to get right and you need to live right. That's how you do right. Well, this goes right along with that. If you're going to have confidence with where you stand with God, uh, you must... You must have that clean heart, that clear conscience. You must do right, right? You've got to get right, and you've got to live right. And when you have that clear conscience, that clean heart before God, that leads to a boldness and a confidence before God. And and let's address something that's addressed in these scriptures here. In prayer, right? In our relationship with God. Remember, right, if you're saved, if your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, you are a child of the King, right? So the the child of the King, right, can boldly, right, I mean, oh, how do I want to say this? Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16, all right, let's use this wording for just a minute. Let me read it to you. Hebrews 4, 16 says, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Boldly come before the throne of grace, right? That is boldly coming before God, right? Uh, Approaching God in prayer is one way that we can boldly come before God. What it means by boldly is it doesn't mean like boldly like I'm storming the castle boldly. It doesn't mean boldly like arrogantly. It means, but, it, but with great respect and reverence, right? I mean, because he is our heavenly father. We are now a child of the king if we're saved, right? So a child can enter into the presence of the king without, you know, worrying about the king having him executed for coming before him or anything like that, right? He doesn't come in fear and in trembling, not knowing what the result is going to be, not knowing whether the king would reject him and not have an audience with him, right? He is a child of the king. He is a son or a daughter of the king, right? Just like my son, if, he'll come, if he comes to me, right, in the right manner, he can't, he can't come to me like some fool or idiot. I might not listen to him then, but if he'll come to me in the right manner, he can boldly come and know that he has my ear and that I will hear. James 5.16 says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That's the last sentence in that that verse. Now when it says righteous man, it's meaning mankind, right? Male or female, right? A righteous child of God. What that's saying in a nutshell is if you're right with God, you can boldly come before Him And what you have to say makes a difference. Right? Think about the relationship again of father and son or father and daughter or mother and daughter or whatever the case may be. They got some pull with mom and dad. Mom and dad's going to listen to them. Mom and dad's not going to do everything that they say or they want. Right? Because not everything that they want is going to be the right decision. 
Have you ever thought about that when you come before God? Not everything you ask for is going to be, you know, probably realistically is God's will because not everything is going to be the best because we, you know, what's best for everything and everybody involved. Sometimes uh, we're just selfish and we're just not thinking about anybody but ourselves, right? Other times uh, it's just simple as this. We can't see the whole picture. I mean, you ever thought about that? just like with a small child right when a small child sometimes they you know do ridiculous things say ridiculous things or want to do ridiculous things they just simply can't see the whole picture I've used the example before and it's kind of a silly example but you know to a small child unless they've been taught it's dangerous to play in the street cannot possibly fathom why it would be any more dangerous to play in the street than it would be to play in the yard well, they've never driven a car before. They don't know how easy it is not to see somebody that small or how hard it is to stop on short notice or what it's like to have a ball all of a sudden dart out in front of you or a kid all of a sudden dart out in front of you. They just they haven't lived a life. They, they, just have, they can't see. They're not capable yet of seeing the whole picture. So there may be even times that parents make decisions that the kids think, well, you're just being mean. Well, no, you're not just being mean. I'm just trying to be a good parent and do the right thing here. Do what's best for you. God is no different with his interactions with us. And so anyways, confidence with God. We can boldly come before him with a clean heart in a clear conscience, we can confidently petition God on behalf of ourselves and on behalf of others, right? I, 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 think we, I think we sometimes maybe we might forget that or not realize that, but we are able to come to God and petition Him, right, to, to, for in a situation, whatever it might be, not only for our own selves, but on behalf of others, right? That's part of that boldly coming before the throne of grace in our time of need. You can, through Jesus, boldly approach God in our time of need. Now, and I told you a minute ago, it's not like I'm going to seize the castle, castle or anything like that. It's in great reverence and respect, yet it's also without hesitation. But I think it's important because I, I mentioned the phrase through Jesus that you understand this because sometimes I think people don't quite get this. When we pray, you are talking to God the Father. You're not, you know, in the most literal sense, right? We believe in one God but in three, this manifests in three persons, right? It's referred to as the Trinity. You have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You, you, when you pray, you look at it that way, you're not talking to God the Holy Spirit, you're not talking to God the Son either. You're speaking to our Heavenly Father because that's how Jesus taught us how to pray, right? You can go to uh, Matthew chapter 5 and you can read about that. But anyway, so we are speaking to our Heavenly Father. You're speaking to God the Father. When you pray, you're talking to God but when, you, but when you are, you must recognize and realize that the only way we have access to God is through Jesus. That's why we pray in the name of Jesus. That's why Jesus said, if you ask these things in my name, 
It's not that the name of Jesus is some sort of magic word, right? That it's some sort of like abracadabra or anything like that. It's acknowledgement, right? It, it's, it, I would even go so far. Now, when I pray, I always do say in the name of Jesus. It's habit on my part. It helps remind me, uh, you know, the only way that I have access to God. But it's not necessary to literally, I don't think, you might disagree with me. I don't know that it's absolutely necessary to say those words because it's not a magic phrase, but you've got to understand that the only way that you're able to even talk to God is through Jesus. That's why Isaiah tells us that our, filthy ra- or that our righteousnesses are as filthy rags before God. It's not us that he sees, it's Christ that he sees. It's, his, it's the blood of Jesus Right, that we're covered in. Going back to Exodus in the Passover, right? The, the, the death angel said, when I see the blood, I will pass over. Right, it's the Lord, whenever he looks at us, if you are saved, if you're redeemed, right? You've heard the phrase in the scriptures, under the blood, right? Under, it's the blood of Jesus, right? Whenever, what it's trying to, it's all some, it's symbolic. What it's, it's not some sort of, special magic formula or anything like that, but it's understanding that it is only based on what Jesus did. His access, right? That we have access to God. It is through Him. Whenever it talks about that, he says, you know, when I see the blood, what he's talking about is Jesus' righteousness, right? Not our good works and our good deeds, because our good works and good deeds are nothing. They don't grant us access to God. They don't get us anywhere what Jesus did. It's not what I did. It's not what you did. It's what Jesus did. So when we pray, we pray in the name of Jesus because we're recognizing and acknowledging that it is through Jesus and only through Jesus that we have the right to talk to God. Now, since I'm on this subject, talking about coming to God with a clear conscience, a clean heart, Approaching him boldly, right, with confidence. There's a couple of things that I want to point out to you real quick that can hinder your prayer. So, if you look at Mark for a minute. Mark chapter 11 and verse 25 and 26. You can turn there with me or you can write it down, check it out later, however you want to do it. But Mark eleven twenty-five says, And when you stand praying, forgive if ye have aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. One thing that will hinder your prayers is an unforgiving spirit. An unforgiving spirit will hinder our prayers to God. The scripture is very plain here in saying, and this is not the only place where it talks about this, but it's very plain here in saying that our prayer uh, for forgiveness will absolutely be denied, be denied if we are holding grudges against someone else, if we refuse to forgive someone else. Uh, that is why it is so important to, uh, that, I mean, you know, how can we expect God to forgive us of everything that we've done when we're not willing to forgive our brother, right, or our sister. We're not willing to forgive somebody else. And what they have done is so small and compared to what we have done against God and to God and how we've sinned against God. 
And so he's saying that if, we have, if we've got an unforgiving spirit, we've got to take care of that first thing. That's going to hinder our, 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 our prayers. That's going to put a stop to everything. If you're holding a grudge against somebody, now is the time to get, to get rid of it. Now is the time to forgive them. And you might be sitting there saying, Preacher, you don't know what they've done to me, right? You don't know what they did to my family or whatever. I can't do it. Well, I'm telling you, yeah, on your own you can't through the Holy Spirit. You can and you better figure it out and get it done because eternity hangs in the balance. If you've got a grudge, if you've got unforgiveness, You've got to get rid of that. The next thing that I want to point out to you that will hinder your prayers is in 1 Peter. 1 Peter, and I want to read it to you because I want to get it exactly right. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7. 1 Peter 3, 7 says, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according... Now, if we backed up and read the whole context... Dwell with them as dwell with your wife, right? It starts out in verse 1 with instructions to the wife, and then here in verse 7 it begins instructions to the husband. Likewise, so verse 7, Likewise ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. That your prayers be not hindered. Not treating... Now... Part of me wants to generalize this and just say your spouse, right? Whether it's wife with husband or husband with wife. But erring on the side of caution, there are specific instructions given to the husband and specific instructions given to the wife in this passage of Scripture. So that makes me, that makes me a little cautious of that approach. So I'm going to say it literally as the Scripture says it here. Husbands, not treating your wife right will hinder your prayers part of having a right relationship with god is having a right relationship at home the relationship between husband and wife right and marriage is supposed to be a picture of christ's relationship with the church and I think part of this probably also is if a man would use uh, their position and their power in the home to mistreat their wives and their families, that they would also um, um, use their position and their power in the church to mistreat God's people in it also. So, bottom line, husbands, if you're not considerate and respectful of your wife, your prayers will not be heard period thus thus saith the word of god first peter 3 7 that is not what justin says that is what god says so we can boldly come before god if we've got a clear conscience a clean heart we can boldly approach god but he makes it clear to us if we have an unforgiving spirit you got to get that taken care of first if your relationship at home is not right you've got to get that taken care of and then obviously it should almost go without being said but if you look at doubt kills prayer also if you look at uh, at james right i want to read the verses to you james chapter 1 verse 6 and 7 says but let him ask in faith nothing wavering for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed and for let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Doubt kills prayer. Faith brings prayer to life. 
Hear me. Doubt kills prayer. But faith brings prayer to life. Right? We've got to pray in faith believing. Right? It even says in, in Romans 14, 23, it tells us for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So we're looking at all these things and we're looking at the unforgiving uh, uh, spirit and we're looking, for not have, looking at not having a clear, you know, a, a clean heart and a clear conscience. Uh, we're looking at, uh, you know, mistreating our, our wife or our spouse, whatever the case, you know, home life not right. We're looking at doubt, which even Romans tells us whatsoever is not a faith is of sin. Then we can see here that makes all three of these sin and sin is what keeps our prayers from being heard. I've tried to make that clear. I, I hit on that a little bit to begin with. I, the clearest verse, and of course the scripture tells us over and over, but is in the book of Psalms. Psalms chapter 66 and verse 18. Let me read it to you real quick this morning. Psalm 66, 18 says, I get turned there. If I regard iniquity, now iniquity means sin. If I regard iniquity or sin in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. That's pretty simple. If you are harboring iniquity, sin, unrighteousness, right? If you are harboring those things in your heart, God will not hear you. Look, let me elaborate on the definition here of iniquity. Ongoing sin. Sin you cherish. Unconfessed sin. Pretending that sin isn't present in your life. Intentionally Hidden sin. If you're holding on to any of that, God will not hear you. It is as simple as that. Verse 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. That's why we start talking about salvation. Step one is repent. Right? That is the only way, right? You're going to have to get things taken care of and clear. You can't, come to, you can't come to God and start talking to Him like you guys are old buddies or even like He's your, your, your dad or whatever until you first have repented. If I, if I regard an iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. This is something that is terribly unpopular. And if you disagree, we can talk about it after the service. But I'll tell you right now, you're wrong. God, unless it is a prayer of repentance... God does not hear the prayer of a sinner. I've heard so many people over the years completely lost. I've heard, and I've heard them talk about praying for their kids. Some of them talk about, you know, I mean, they're lost, they're living in the world, they've got no desire to worship God, they've got no desire to serve God, none of that stuff. And something happens to their kids or their grandkids, and they're talking about praying for their kids. I've got sad news for them. Ain't a word of it getting beyond the ceiling, beyond the sound of their voice. God is not hearing it because they are regarding iniquity in their heart. You've got to take care of that first. You want to talk to God, you want to communicate with God. God says before I'm going to hear anything, you've got to take care of what's in here. I've heard guys, um, one of them, and it was kind of shocking. I was a new Christian at the time, so it was kind of shocking, but it was back whenever... Um, John Edwards was running for president. One, like maybe the first time he ran. So we're talking early 2000s. 2004 maybe or something like that. 
and he's on the t- he's, it's a debate. And it was maybe it was 2008. It was the first time that they had sent in. I remember they made a big deal out of it. People, regular people, had sent in questions. I think it was over Facebook. It was some sort of social media. That was all pretty new then. And I don't remember exactly what the question was, but it involved prayer. And you could see his face. Instant. And the question was for him. Instantly changed. There's no question, no doubt, he is bitter and mad, or at that time anyways, mad at God. He'd had a son that had died. He talked about how hard him and his wife had prayed for his son. And he said, God didn't hear my prayers. And so then he went on and how, therefore, there must not be a God, right? And he's atheist and all this and that, you know, or agnostic at least. Hear me! I don't care how bad a shape that your, your child is, your, your spouse is, your grandchild, your friend, your neighbor, or you are. If you are harboring sin in your heart, God does not hear you. He does not hear you. The first thing that you've got to do, the first prayer he's going to hear is your prayer of repentance. That's where it starts. That's what's got to happen first. So the scripture is clear. The scripture is plain. Sin is what hinders our prayers. All of these things that I've talked about are really boiling down to it is sin that that harbors or that, that hinders our prayers. Let me read to you another verse along these lines. Isaiah. Um, I can I can kind of quote this one, the gist of it, but let me just read it to you. Isaiah chapter 59 verses 1 and 2 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Right? The problem is not that God God doesn't have the strength or the power to reach down and to save you. Neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. The problem is, is is not that God's hearing is hard or that he is so distant that he cannot hear you. Verse 2. But your iniquities, right, your sins, have separated between you and your God. And your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear you. Right? Verse 1, it's not that he can't hear you. It's that your sins have separated you from him so that, he w- so that you have hid his face from you so that he will not hear you. Sin separates you from God. Right? So we're talking about having confidence, boldly coming before God, being able to pray, right? The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. How does that happen? How does somebody have a pull with God, right? Uh, As uh, Harriet Myers said, the hand that... um, Oh, I forgot the quote now. It doesn't matter. But anyways, uh, you know, we have pull with God. But anything, anything from something that's just not quite right to just plain old, no denying it, sin, muddies the conscience and dirties the heart. It makes us unclean. But here's the good news. God can and will with a caveat, if we will allow him, 
create in us a clean heart. God can and will create in us a clean heart, in us a clean heart, if we will let him do that work in us. If we will repent and turn to him, right? So, so the question, and I'm going to close. How do we get our hearts clean and conscience clear? Right? That goes back to, to 1 John, okay? For, 1 John chapter 1. Uh, the first four verses is John says, look, I'm just telling you what Jesus told us, okay? Verse 5. Re, l- let, me read, let me read this to you real quick. Verse 5. And now I... Bes- uh, now I bes- <clears throat> That's 2 John. 1 John. Verse 5. This then is the message which we have heard of him. Right? He's talking about this is the message that we heard from Jesus personally in person and declare unto you that God is light in him is no darkness at all. First of all, through the scripture, right? Uh, light, right? God is, is compared to light and it says that he is light and, and it represents goodness and darkness is the absence of light. So it's the absence of, it, the analogy is teaching us that evil is the absence of God. People get hung up on that and say, why would a good loving God create evil? He didn't create evil. It's that whenever you remove good, whenever you remove God, right? When you remove all that, there is a deficiency there, right? It's a void. It's an absence and that is, that black hole is evil evil it is darkness verse 6 says if we have if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness we lie and do not the truth right that's pretty simple even an old hillbilly like me can understand that what he's saying is if we say we have fellowship with him right if we say that we're a christian and we walk in darkness Right? That means without God, outside of God, outside of His presence. That means if we say that we're a Christian and then we walk out the doors uh, and we live like the rest of the world, then we lie and do not the truth. Now, the rest of this, 7, 8, 9, 10. I want to pair up verses 8 and 10 and 7 and 9. Hear this. Let me read 8 and 10 together. And then 7 and 9 together. 8 says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 10. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Many say that they have no sin or that they don't sin or that they have never sinned. I was shocked whenever I first encountered so the first person, I, I'd never thought that way. Growing up, uh, I wasn't raised as a Christian. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. But I was raised in a home that where, you know, it seemed like everybody said all the time, well, nobody's perfect, right? And so I, I was raised up with that mentality. I recognized that I wasn't perfect. So I guess in that regard, when it come time for me to get saved, it was easy for me to realize that, that I was a sinner, right? That I wasn't perfect. And I had things that I need to be forgiven for. First time I encountered somebody... And I remember sitting and pleading with them. They were obviously under conviction. God was obviously dealing with them. But I couldn't get past the point. He kept saying, I've never done nobody wrong. I've always done the right thing. I didn't know him, but I'm sure. He was probably a really good old boy through all of his life. But all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And if we say that we haven't or we don't, all those who claim to be sinless, you've done nothing but deceived yourself. You have done nothing but fooled yourselves. 
And when we say that, we have, that we've never sinned, then what we're doing, if that was true, we would be making God into a liar. And so therefore, the, the truth is not in whoever says that. They have deceived themselves. Verse 7 and verse 9. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. In the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son cleanses us from all sin. Verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is how our hearts are made clean. I don't care whether you are lost and never been saved or if you've been saved and then you've let some sin creep into your life. This is how you get rid of it. This is how you get a clean heart and a clear conscience. This is the steps that you've got to go through in order to be able to boldly come before God. So whenever we have sinned, we confess it, right? Not to some men, but to God, right? In other words, we admit, I'm a sinner. I have done wrong, right? I have sinned against you, God. Uh, and so, and, and we're confessing this to the Lord, right? We're confessing this to God who already knows it. It's not like we're telling him something and he's like, wow, I can't believe you did that. He knew you were going to do it before you ever did it. It's not like you're telling him something he does not already know. So if you're embarrassed or ashamed or too prideful, get that out of the way. He already knows and until you admit it to him, all you're doing is looking like a fool before him. Repent, right? We confess it. We admit it and we repent of it. I got to make that clear because you might be thinking, well, isn't repentance the same thing? Sort of, but, but the repentance is a step farther. Repentance is turning away from it. That is a definite part of the definition of repentance. It is a 180 degree turn, right? You were in sin, you were okay with sin, you were living with sin, and whenever you admit it and you say, okay, God, I admit it, this is sin. What I'm doing is sin, what I'm harboring is sin. And so then the next step, you've admitted it, you confess it to God. So many people think that's the end of repentance, and they confess it, and they, in their heart they're saying something to the effect of, well, God, you know I'm not perfect, and I'm probably going to do it again, so you might as well go ahead and forgive me for that. That is not repentance. Repentance is not only admitting it, but it is turning away from it and turning away from sin and turning towards God and saying, I am not going to do that anymore. God, strengthen me so that I never go back to that, so that I never do that. God, direct my path. God, whatever it takes. God, if I if I pluck out an eye or cut off a hand, whatever it takes, Lord. I never want to do that again. That is what repentance is. And we ask God to forgive us. Right? We confess it. We admit it. We repent of it. And we ask God, acknowledging that we are unworthy. You think you deserve God's forgiveness? You don't. Think I deserve it? I do not. But because of God's mercy, because of His grace, He gave His only begotten Son who died on Calvary's cross shed his lifeblood. Do you think you or I are worth his son? Of course not. But God loved us so much that he gave him anyways. And so we ask God for forgiveness. This is how our hearts are made clean. And our hearts stay clean, right? Once he cleans it up, don't be like the dog that returns to his vomit or the pig that goes back into the mire, right? Back into the, the hog that goes back into the, the, the muck and, and, the, and the nastiness. 
We keep our hearts clean by walking in the light, by walking in the Spirit, by maintaining our fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why it says in the book of Romans, I think it's chapter 8, where it says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. That's how you're the sons of God, is you're led by the Spirit of God, right? You, walk, you are walking in the Spirit. You're walking in the light, right? You are maintaining your fellowship with God. And so we maintain a clear conscience by obeying the Word and by doing what we know is right. That ties in with what I preached last week, do right. By, know, by doing what we know is right. So a clean heart. And a clear conscience. That's what brings joy unspeakable. Peace that passes all understanding. Rest for our souls. You will not find those things anywhere else. Nowhere else will you find that. You will not, you, you might find a little bit of, of what you think is happiness or joy, but you will not find joy that is unspeakable. You might find what you think is a moment of peace, but you will not find the peace the scriptures are talking about, the peace that passes all understanding, right? And you might be able to think that you can take a day off and get some rest, but you will not find rest for your soul until you get things right with God. Until you've got that clean heart and that clear conscience. Listen one more time as I get ready to open the altar. 1 John 3, where I, we started at, verse 21 says, Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. 5.14 says, And this is the confidence that we have in Him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desire of him. Can you say that this morning? Do you have confidence? You can have. Would you stand to your feet? I want to open the altar this morning. I want to give you a chance to come this morning. If the Spirit of God is dealing with you, would you come this morning? Maybe you've got a need. Maybe you've got a heavy burden. Maybe there's somebody God's laid on your heart you need to be praying for. Maybe there's some things that you've realized in your life and in your heart that's hindering your prayers. Now would be a good time to come and get those things out of the way. Whatever the need is, maybe God has spoke to you. Maybe you've realized for the first time that you're not where you ought to be with God that you're lost and undone, would you come this morning? Maybe you realize for the tenth time or the hundredth time, you're like I was. God's dealt with you one more time. Would you come this morning? Don't miss this opportunity. You may never get another one this side of eternity. You may not ever, that means you won't get another one at all. So whatever the need is here this morning, would you come? Would you come?